keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Go listen to the outro if you want to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyo Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we try to shift the global culture to one in which taking care of each other is the norm and fucking awesomely is 100% part of that. Our guest today is a 34-year-old dude who came out of the closet a year ago. Sex-wise, he has a history of enjoying anonymous sex in glory holes and dark rooms and orgy settings. However, now that he's out, he's been enjoying more intimate encounters. Originally from Montana, he's an author, coach, and model based out of Miami. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And you are absolutely stunningly beautiful. Thank you. You're very handsome yourself. I will say for anyone who's not watching YouTube, he's a beauty. <laughs> Can you start off by telling our listeners <laughs> on a sexual shame today with 10 being the most full of shame and one being the least shamey, where do you fall right now? You know, I think that's a fluctuating concept that goes on in my mind quite frequently. Mm -hmm. You know, every once in a while, that meter goes up a little bit higher. And I go, what's going on to make that meter higher? And it's generally not what I'm engaging in as much so as what's going on inside of myself mm -hmm. for the shame of meter. Right now, I will have to tell you that I'm at a one or zero. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> And so I'm having a lot of fun. It's just down in Wilton Manors, Florida, which is just a, you know, gay Mecca where you walk around in little booty shorts and just have just have a ball. And tonight I'll be at a nightclub dancing with a whole bunch of men in jock straps. And, oh, my God. Amazing. You know, there was a time where that would have increased my shame a meter big time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But nowadays it doesn't seem to increase that as much so is if I get dragged into kind of the thoughts later on of that I am dirty or I am wrong mm. in my identity. Yeah. When I'm wrong in my identity, if my identity starts to clash with what I'm doing on the outside, that's when my shame goes up, you know? Yeah. So as long as I stay true to myself and my identity, then my sex is absolutely lovely and doesn't affect my shame. Beautiful. Can you just give us a little overview of what your sex life is like right now? Yeah. So I am a single male and as a single male who just came out of the closet, I'm also new to this town. And so being new to the town, you know, I'm like the fresh meat, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so busy with so many different things right now that I have to decline a whole bunch of invitations that I would have stepped up to initially, especially being down here in South Florida, because there are beautiful men all over and all the different flavors too. It's just absolutely wonderful. Not like Montana where it was very, you know, it was like one type of guy all the time. And so down here, there's all this and it's vibrant and it's lively and it's relaxed feeling. Mm. So there's not much of this, like in the closet type of like, let's only meet up, but very discreetly, like, are you going to tell anybody type yeah. stuff? That's something that I want to engage in so much. But since I have so much going on right now, I have to pull back. But it's interesting because what ends up happening is I have like 15 minutes, right? So I'll pop on my phone. I'll be like, man, I'm so horny right now. I'm going <laughs> to hop on the grinder and just see what's available. And I'll hop on. And of course, the guys that I wanted to connect with, they might not be there at the time. And so I just 
I select one and I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it right now. I'm just too hot and heavy. Let's do it. (laughs) And then, you know, I'll end up with something that's like completely out of what I thought I would like. Right. It's like something different. And then I end up loving it. And that has been such a beautiful experience for me because that is the same type of thing that I feel about politics, about opinions, about tastes and foods. It's like finally in my life, I'm open to trying new things and open to experiencing new ideas. And that to me is an essential part of my growth as a person in both my spiritual and emotional realms, because I feel like in my 30s, I've gotten younger. Awesome. I think that that is one of the things that's very important. Also, you know, the fitness and the coming out and accepting identity, all that type of stuff also increases that kind of glow up effect. Yeah. But that aspect of it, I think, is very important. Amazing. Okay. I want to hear a little bit about your sexual origin story. So that's going to be early experiences, formative experiences. Start by taking us back to when you first remember hearing about sex. Yeah. When I first remember hearing about sex, I was about six years old, somewhere in between five and six years old. And I had actually always identified with my mom more so with her dresses, with her jewelry. And I was always kind of like this effeminate kind of like creative baby boy, mm-hmm. you know, even they, they could tell that as a kid, I remember going to Disney World and picking out Minnie Mouse instead of Mickey Mouse. And then my brother laughed at me and was like, you're supposed to pick out Mickey Mouse. And I was confused. I was like, why? She has a cute dress. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no question about it. Like, I want Minnie Mouse. She has bows in her hair. Why not? So, you know, and there was some confusion going on there. And then about six years old, like shortly after those experiences started to happen, my cousin asked me to try on some of his sister's underwear and do a little beauty show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, innocently, I was like, that sounds like a lot of fun. I love girls' underwear. Like, I looked in my mom's drawer, so I might as well. So I tried it on, and I liked it. And I danced around and did a little beauty show for him. And it was enjoyable. And then afterwards, he said, you know, well, why don't we do what goes on behind the scenes in a beauty show? And I was like, huh, what, what do you mean? He was like, my older brother, I walked in on him and his girlfriend, and he was sticking his thing in her. And he was like, and so we can do that here. And I was like, huh, okay, that's kind of my role. It's something for me to try. And so I did. And, you know, it's confusing to look back at and say, like, did I enjoy it? Was I into it? But I know one thing that happened is that with that mixed with the ideas that I was wrong for like in Minnie Mouse, that I was wrong for like in the stuff that girls more liked, the drama and the, you know, just life differently, that when I mixed the sex stuff in with it, then shame came from it because all of a sudden my identity was wrong. Mm. The identity that I had was wrong. Like I shouldn't be the little boy who likes to be you know, the girl. From that time on, sex in every sort of way calls shame because it was conflicting. It was either conflicting with what I knew I was. So my internal dialogue with myself of going, I know that I like boys, but I'm still having sex with this girl. That calls me shame. Mm. I may be doing it right socially, but it's causing me shame. 
And then there was the other aspect of shame that when I had sex with a man or a boy when I was younger, that I would feel like I was going against the cultural problem that was causing more shame. So I ended up like a shame baggage wreck by the time that I was 15. My parent, I had a drug addiction. My parents sent me off to, to rehab and I spent the rest of my youth in rehab centers, like trying to figure out who I was and what I did. Holy cow, that is so much. Okay, can you tell us a little more about the texture or values in your household? Did you ever get a sex talk? You know, I never really got the sex talk. I remember shortly after that experience, I asked my mom, I said, how does somebody get AIDS? Because AIDS was just starting to get a lot of media. And so I was freaking out because I knew from what I had seen on TV in Atlanta, where we where we were living at the time, I knew that like AIDS came from gay sex. And I was like, that's, uh oh, I might have AIDS and I'm only a little boy. Oh. And so I freaked out and I asked my mom and she said, it's okay. That only happens when a boy mixes his private parts with another boy. But since you're a good Christian boy, you won't ever have that problem. Oh. So I was like, uh oh. <laughs> Instantly, that's actually where I had my first lie, because she asked me, she goes, why, why did you ask that question? Was it that silly TV? Are we watching too much TV? And so I said, yes, we're watching too much TV. That's why. Wow. And I remember when I did that first lie, I was like, oh, my God, I escaped my shame for a moment. You know, I yeah. escaped my shame and entered into this like new reality of like freedom from it. And I was like, wow, there's something with this lying game. And so then I started lying about everything, <laughs> yeah. which led me into just the shit wreck of being a kid, you know, from, from an early age all the way until 15. And that's why I got sent away. Wow. Okay. And then how about in school or it sounds like you also went to church? What messages did you get there? Yeah, in school and in church, it was the same. I always went to Christian schools until I got kicked out of them. Okay. You know, down south, though, when I was in elementary school, even the public schools were Christian. You know, everything yeah. was Christian. Yeah. We said the Lord's Prayer and stuff like that. And I remember one time, I think I was in first or second grade, I asked a girl to have sex with me. And this was shortly after me and a boy had had sex. And so I actually noticed that this was a time when I started using women to portray myself as not a gay man, as not a gay boy. So about first or second grade, that's when that started with me, wow. was using women to prove myself as a masculine boy, as a masculine man. And it worked. So when I asked that girl to have sex with me, this was like a couple days after me and this boy had messed around. Then all of a sudden, I felt a freedom from that identity. And I was like, oh my God, I can just, if I always have a girlfriend around, if I'm sexually active, if I'm kissing girls, then boys won't think that I'm gay. And so that became my life's mission. Like I always had a girlfriend and I generally like, especially at a younger age before a lot of people were having sex, I always picked the sluttier ones, yeah. not because I wanted to have sex with her, but because you know, if I told my friends that I was having sex, then, you know, I would be in the clear. Wow. 
So these are really young, tender ages. Can you speak to whatever you might remember around the, I don't know how, mental, emotional understanding of sex? Like, as a kid, I remember things feeling really good. I wonder if there was, beyond the shame that you've spoken to, like, how did you make sense of it as a young person? You know, I remember things feeling really good, too. I remember... I found out what masturbation was myself. Okay. And I actually, before I found out what masturbation was, I did it with a Sharpie and a Sharpie and a toothbrush and I stuck it in my butt. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that was actually my first form of masturbation Whoa. before I learned about my penis. It was a short time afterwards that I learned about that. Yeah. I remember not connecting as well with my manhood. I remember it feeling good. I remember the release feeling good. But at the same time, I remember being like, man, I, I really kind of like and I identify with something different, though. Yeah. I identify with that. So then I was anal driven throughout my entire life. I was always the taker. I was always the bottom, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Until recently, I just actually finally experienced being a top for my first time. Okay. And it was so much fun. We went back and forth and it was just like, oh my God. And that's you know, a big topic that I've talked upon is like find stepping into my boy and finally like loving the manhood that I am as well as my feminine side. You know, it's such yeah. a beautiful thing that at first it was so limiting though, because I was like, I'm a bottom. I'm only a bottom. Like I'm only going to meet up with you if you fuck me. Like, and then I opened myself up to it. I was like, I'm just going to try it. And I tried it. And similar to the stuff that I was talking about, opinions and taste. So I, I ended up meeting up with this guy who was like, I want to do both. And I was like, well, okay, let's try it. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it, but let's try it. And it was fantastic. <laughs> oh my God, that's so amazing. And is like right in line with the question that I was curious about, which like, do you feel like having sex with women in these younger years of yours made you more hesitant to be penis forward? Or is it related for you at all? Like, how do you organize that in your own brain? You know, I don't, I don't really relate it. Okay. Rather, I always saw sex with women being more fear-based. Oh, okay. And so my performance there was always really fear-based. And it ultimately led to like what I perceived as pretty poor performance mm -hmm. because, you know, I would get into a sexual relationship with a girl and I was mostly oral with them. Okay. So I didn't have a long time. Like I wasn't able to just fuck all night yeah. type of thing. It was like, okay, let me get in there and get it done. Once I penetrate, like I need to come. Otherwise I'm going to, you know, die off. Yeah. So it was mostly oral. And then if I started to die off, then it was like, okay, get back down there, liquor, like so that she forgets about this. And then I'll get hard again by, by seeing the passion of a woman though. Like people often ask me, you know, how did you do it? I was like, well, first of all, I had to. You know, it was a survival thing. It was like, I had to do this. I had to prove myself both to myself and this woman. And, you know, second of all, women have this beautiful way of just expressing passion and connection that if you can tap into it, it is such a lovely experience, yeah. right? It's yeah. so beautiful yeah. and it's so giving. And it's just, it's such a sweet, like envelope to be inside. And so, you know, ultimately, although I was acting, it wasn't a very hard 
hard thing to tap into and to get involved with the love and the passion aspect of relationships and sex and ultimately perform a little bit, you know? Wow. Okay. Without giving the types of details that pedophiles might get off on, could you tell us a little bit about some of the earlier experiences you had that were closeted? So before you got sent away to rehab, I'm curious if there are formative things that we need to know about the sneaking around or the kind of like emotional, physical experience of that. So like the first time that I, that I did before asking the girl to have sex with me, it wasn't gay, right? We were just having fun, yeah. right? And so there was never the talk like, do you like guys type of stuff? It was just like, we're just having fun. We're just boys. And then later on, I actually like shortly after that time, I really didn't connect sexually with other boys. Mm that I can really remember until somewhere like right around middle school, maybe a little bit later. And then I would go over to a friend's house and he'd be like, let's watch porn and let's jack off together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so then it became more of a watching type thing Mm. of a being like, Oh, I'm in the same room as a guy and he's stroking him. Oh my God, that's so hot. Yeah. And then, you know, there were a couple of times where like, me and a handful of friends were all together doing it. And I was like, this is like heaven. This is so amazing. But during those times, there was no gay part of it, right? Although there are, I mean, I was one of them that came out. There's been a couple of them that have kind of come out as well. So it's been kind of interesting to see that unfold. And could you look at anyone else? Or was it like corner of your eye, keeping your eye on the screen? Like what was the vibe? yeah. Yeah. Very secretive. Okay. I think that, you know, a lot of times like a straight man will be like, is he looking at me type stuff, you know? So he's like, you know, everyone's kind of checking each other out. That's such a good point. Yeah. And and men, like, especially in the gym and stuff, it's really hard to have a gaydar in the gym because everyone turns kind of gay. It's so bizarre. (laughs) Although, you know, I don't know if they'll all be able to, you know, actually engage in the act. Yeah. I feel like everyone's kind of checking each other out in this mm-hmm, way, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm i a person that, like, I walk around and, like, drink the world in with my eyes. So I receive a lot of eye contact back because I'm, like, giving it out. And people, I think, can feel that attention. And I don't have a gaydar at all. And I think, like, I was, like, super surprised when I was like, oh, I love a woman? Whoa! You know? And so yeah. when people have good gaydars out in the world, I'm just like, but how do you do it? That's magic. That's such an interesting idea about the locker room. I haven't been, I mean, yeah, I guess I've never been in a guy's locker room in that context. <laughs> Gaydars are not applicable in the gym. Right. They are only applicable outside of the gym. So <laughs> I mean, you can totally tell a gay man, but you cannot tell a straight man <laughs> whether he's bi or whether he's gay. Yeah. Now, if I'm walking around in the grocery store, I can completely tell that wow. he would be up for it. How? Is it possible to articulate how? Oh, it's eye contact. So I really do believe like you when I'm walking around and I make eye contact with people, like occasionally you're able to actually have the same exact emotion on a smaller scale as making love. Mm. And that's what's been so hard about this COVID thing is that eye contact, facial expressions, yes. like all of this connection, yeah. like that's the same type of stuff that happens when you're making love. And it's the same type of emotion. And if you're able to tap into that universe, like, you know, it's not so hard to be grateful and to be satisfied, you know, 
with sexuality. And I feel like when I started tapping into that, when I started like making love to people all the time, I all of a sudden like lost this. And I was only able to do that after connecting with my own sexuality and my identity. But after that, I was actually able to step away from this like unhealthy sexual addiction type of life where literally when I would be driving through a town, I would be like, oh my God, are there any glory holes around? You know, are there any set or there any porn stores? And I would have like, just like an alcoholic and I'm an alcoholic too, but just like an alcoholic driving by a liquor store, he has to go Mm. in there and he has to go get that liquor. That's the way I felt about sex. That's the way I felt about the glory holes. I just, I was like, oh my God, I got to go in there. I've got some change. Like I can do it. I can go sit in there and oh, just that has been removed from me after I have been able to tap into the love of people, you know, that I hang out with, that I meet in the gym. It's so much fun to do too, because everyone walks around with this. They go. (laughs) And so, you know, that look, you know, that look, that look. For those of you listening, he's giving me kind of like a steely eyed, like, what's up? Like, yeah. (laughs) What's up, bro? Keeping the brows furrowed, like strong and like, this is my spot type thing. This is my spot, but let's fuck still. Like very confusing. Totally. (laughs) So what I do now in the gym is I go and I I approach and I pop on a big smile. I love that. (laughs) Sometimes I wink at him or go like that. Oh my God. (laughs) Beautiful. So much fun upsetting the little, you know, social norms that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's so many details that we want to fill in. I want to get to the glory holes, but I like to kind of go in order. What's important for us to know about your time in rehab or being sent away to rehab? Was there sex there? Like what happened to your sexual being during that time? Oh, I used women. So I used women, used women, used women. It was all about like the girls. You couldn't have sex with them, but you could still flirt with them. And so... Wait, in rehab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And although... There were a couple of times that I was able to like sneak away and get stuff done, but ultimately it was self play. So there was a lot of that. And so like, I actually developed this weird thing where I would like go into the mirror and I would detach myself from myself and Mm -hmm. I would look at myself like it was a porno and I would Mm -hmm. watch myself like finger my butt and open my butt and look at myself and be like, Oh, just think about that as being another guy, and yeah. like another guy penetrated me out. So there was a lot of that. And I think that led into my development of kind of like this exhibitionist type stuff. So I love, I love it. I get so turned on at the sex clubs that I go to and getting fucked in front of other people or even just teasing other people. It's so much yeah. fun. I get so horny from it. Even just being down in Wilton Manors yesterday and walking around in my little itty bitty shorts yeah. and then seeing a guy look, you know, so there's like, for some reason, a little bit of exhibitionist came out of that. Now, later on in my, re- so I was in rehab for like three and a half years of my youth. Okay. Later on, there was this one kid who came in and his name was Ryan. And he came in and we were like, why are you here? We all sat down in this circle and he said, I'm here because my parents sent me here because I'm gay. And instantly when he said that, I go, oh my gosh. That was the first kid I've ever heard say that he was gay. And I go, oh my gosh, maybe I can do that too in this kind of safe place. If he did it, like maybe I can too. And so I tried. I was like, 
I like men too. I like guys too. And it felt so good when that happened. But shortly thereafter, it was a very strict Christian boarding school ranch. It was a work Christian ranch. And I ended up going through an exorcism, an exorcism where I had to pronounce Jesus Christ before the priest. There was four priests holding me down on the bed for a couple of hours, and I fought with them until I would say Jesus Christ. And when I said Jesus Christ and they let me up, they said, you no longer have to worry about being attracted to men. And so there was that instance that happened. And then I was like, I got really deluded. A traumatic situation like that, like really fucks with your head. And so like part of me believed him, believed that I was healed. And so when I got out of the program, I actually hopped into the real world and I started smoking weed again, hanging out with, you know, the drugging crowd. And all was kind of good until one night I ate a whole bunch of mescaline and just there was a couple of other times, too, where I just just was like I would get so paranoid that people knew who I actually was, but I didn't know who I actually was. So there was like all this like weird shit going on. I mean, this is months after going through an exorcism and I'm just like on mescaline. My head's just like super out there. And I think that my friends are devils and that if they touch me that they're going to send me to hell because i'm lying about who i am and so i have this like horrific trip and at the very end of it like 12 hours later i'm like by the way guys i'm gay i have to tell you this and then they go we know and i laugh and i'm like i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding well A week later, my friend Ryan hitchhiked all the way down from Seattle, all the way down to to Georgia, where I was living at the beach, and I was being a lifeguard. He hitchhiked all the way down, sucking truckers' dicks all the way down to get down to to me. Me and this boy were in love, like brotherhood love. And he came, and we made love. You know, it was so beautiful, but I also introduced him to drugs Mm. and I introduced him to drugs and my mom actually ended up walking in on us having sex. Oh my God. And then after, you know, the next day he flew back to Seattle, they they bought him a ticket to fly back to Seattle and she said, don't worry, we won't tell your dad you're going to, it's going to be okay. And then he flew back and he was like, let's start working on trying to come out of the closet. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And he was like, let's take these drugs. So there was this like psychedelic mixture of MAOI inhibitors and some other crap that he sent me. And he was like, let's both take these drugs together and it'll help us bond, you know, on the astral plane. That weekend, though, I was supposed to take my drugs and I ended up going to a music festival instead. And when I got back home, I heard that he was in a coma from the drugs that he took. And then he ended up two weeks later, his parents took him off the life support. And um, so he died. Holy fuck. When he died, like everything that I knew about myself, like, or hoped for was like gone. And I just went off the deep end. I just, I, I lost connection with everything that I was. And all I did was, was drugs. So that's, that's where it led me was just drugs and, you know, doing whatever, um, of course, trying to come off as straight. And I don't remember like 
throughout those times. Like there was a couple of acid trips and stuff that I would have where I would be like, oh my God, they know, you know, shit like that. But I was getting pretty good at just like dealing with that anxiety that would come up. Mm. So I was a super anxious, anxious boy. And that led me, since I was having clashes with my identity, I was always on tons of Xanax and downers and but I was also taking the uppers to do the party and just, yeah. and then ultimately it all blew up when I found heroin. There's when the glory hole type stuff started to get more dangerous because I needed money. So I started prostitution mm. and things like that. Yeah. So there it is in a little bit. Wow. Can you tell us timeline wise when you had this exorcism through Ryan's death, how old were you? 18 to 24 and then oh. right at about 24. So this is all happening in the span of years. And right after Ryan, I meet this girl named Caroline, who's just like absolutely beautiful. And she's the perfect girl to like go on my shoulder and make me appear like the best straight man. Hmm. And then we moved out to Montana to go finish up college. And when we were out there, I started to experiment again with guys behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And that type of experimentation led me to being really angry at her. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes I would end up angry at my girls because they didn't heal me. Like yeah. they didn't make me better. And they were supposed to like, she's so beautiful. Why am I not better? Yeah. And oh. so we started getting them just like horrible fights and um, ended up breaking up. And then of course, you know, I was in the glory holes. And so I was getting sexual satisfaction. And then I always had this little girlfriend that I just, I didn't really care about on the side and, you know, treated her so poorly throughout the rest of college. But I was, I was so high that like, you know, it really didn't, it didn't matter how I treated other people. You know, yeah. I was just, I was very, very lost. Wow. So how did you get back on track. I mean, this is still a decade ago. And you said you are hearing prostitution. I don't know how much you want to talk about that. I'm hearing glory holes. What are the formative details of your 20s that led you to where you are now? Yeah, so that was going on. And I was using heroin to kind of cope with all the shame and identity stuff. And I had made it into a graduate program. And then I had to drop out of my graduate school for psychology and stop doing my research because I was just shooting up all the time. And then, but I was still kind of like teaching this psych 100 class and I got a girl pregnant. I got my first woman pregnant and I was like, well, it wasn't my first woman pregnant, but it was the first one where she wanted to go through with the baby. Wow. And so I was like, oh crap. <laughs> and so we ended up moving to Wyoming where her family lived and there was no heroin there. So I had to get clean. Right. And there's also no dick there. I mean, yeah. there's no grinder. There's no glory holes. There's, of course, like if I want to find a cowboy, I mean, I guess that happens, but it wasn't happening yeah. to me. So, and there was no heroin. So I got onto Suboxone, started cleaning up my life a little bit, but I was drinking so, so much, okay. just all the time drinking. And so that marriage didn't end up lasting too long. Mm. And ultimately, you know, at this point I had had three DUIs throughout college. I had had multiple drug charges. Like, so the drugs and the alcohol were starting to become such a problem in my life that I had to figure it out. And so I ended up, long story short, without talking about the drugs and alcohol too much, I ended up in a rehab program after my ex-wife left me with the baby. And then when I got out, I said, okay, 
I cannot be sober unless I finally come out of the closet. And so that's what led me to finally go and ding. That's where I'm going to have to go. So I moved to Colorado where I didn't know anybody. And I was like, if I can come out to people I don't even know, then it's going to be good. Right. Well, it wasn't. So I came out and I, I kind of came out though. I didn't fully come out. I came out as bisexual. I was like, Mm. I'm bisexual to my roommate and just my roommate. And I didn't live it. I didn't feel it. And I wasn't like, because that wasn't me. I'm gay. Like there's, you know, there's no lying about it. And so ultimately what it would end up doing was causing me just more guilt because I wasn't centered around actually who I was. And so I would have more guilt and more shame. And then I pushed people away and I fell back into drugs and alcohol. Well, then, of course, at some point, drugs and alcohol always lead me to this like deep, dark bottom. And so there I am. I had a big skiing concussion where I couldn't even make sense. I didn't even know what time of day it was. Like I couldn't talk hardly. I didn't know my friends' names when they came over and bought weed from me. And like it was really, really bad. So I shut myself into the closet, literally, figuratively, too. I I closed all my windows, and I got a whole bunch of moonshine, and I tried to drink myself to death. Ultimately, it didn't work after a couple months, and I was so sick and so tired, I could barely do anything. I could barely get up off the couch. I was 235 pounds. I was just miserable. And then, you know, some magic stuff that, you know, if we were talking about recovery, I would talk about, but I ended up getting sober or starting on that path of getting sober. So basically I start getting clean, right? But I'm not fully clean. I'm only halfway. And so that's very similar to my sexuality. I'm like halfway out, but I'm, you know, so all these like half measures that I'm doing, like they just don't fucking work, but I'm like somewhat clean. Right. And so since I'm somewhat clean, this other woman falls in love with me and she Reminds me of you, just like this radiant, like beautiful, like independent, loving, like just when you look at her, she's authentic. And I was like, I want what she has. I want something from her. And of course, you know, after a lifetime of it, she's all confused with sex and stuff. So initially when I met her, I was like, I just want to be her friend. And I went up and told her, I said, even if you don't marry me, I want to be your best friend for the rest of your life. And we ended up getting married like a week later. So boys, oh. if you're trying to marry some girl, say that. Because <laughs> it worked. Oh my gosh. And so we got married. And when we did, we were working landscaping. And I ran over this little rock that said integrity. And when I ran over this little rock that said integrity, I was like, what does that mean to me? And the only person that I could think of was my dad. And I thought of my dad and I was like, he's exactly who he says he is 100% of the time. And I realized that, you know, trying to get sober, everybody was telling me that I needed to confront my lies and I needed to confront my deepest fears. Well, one of those fears was me coming out of the closet. And so therein lies, when I started writing about my experience, and I had some relapses right then, actually, I had some very serious relapses where I almost killed that woman who I had just married. I almost killed myself. Yeah, there was like a video of me like running at her with like a broken mirror shard on a head full of acid. I ended up in jail it was, and then I tried to kill myself and just, oh, it was a miserable week. And I woke up and I decided that I was going to train for a triathlon. 
I don't know why. It was just really kind of bizarre. But then at that point, I said, okay, triathlon gives me a way to understand integrity because I can't cheat myself in this. You know, I have my training plan and I can't do less because if I do less, I won't be able to do the race and I'm going to fucking drown. And I was like, I have to do it. I swim, it's train or it's drown. And I realized right then I was like, oh my God, that's kind of like everything else in my life. If I don't do it completely, then I'm going to drown. If I don't not drink completely, I'm going to drown in the booze again. I'm going to relapse and relapsing right now at this point was starting to go kind of scary. Like I was homicidal, like fucking weird. I was like, where did this come from? And so that's why I started making that shift. Now that shift took a lot of peeling of this onion that was Mark, right? So it was not just like a one day thing of like, okay, I'm going to live with integrity. Here's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Rather, it was a slow peeling process. And it was also a confidence building process. Not so much confidence. It was, it was developing faith and developing belief and developing that I trusted that if I'm me, that things are still going to be okay. You know, trusting that if I give myself to other people, things are going to be okay. And that actually comes from the idea that knowing that, you know, the world with or without me is going to be okay. Mm. And then ultimately, like believing and understanding that I was like, oh, that's so significant. Like, I am little old me and the world's going to be okay with or without me. But also, I am significant me and the world needs me. It needs me to be me. And so that's where my relationship with my God started to really become clear. Mm. And this took a a couple of years of going through the triathlon, relating it to recovery, writing about it. And then some things started to happen. Like I lost my swimsuit one day and I had to go training. And all that I could find in Denver, Colorado, where I was living was a little itty bitty Speedo. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to wear a Speedo. I was like, I remember when I was a youth and my brother laughed at me because I was wearing a Speedo for swim team. And I, so I quit the swim team and I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to wear this Speedo. Well, I took it up to my swim pool. I put on the Speedo and I liked it. Like I literally, I got an erection while I was inside of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been missing. This is what I needed. Like, oh, this feels so good. So I took a picture of it and sent it to my wife. And I got this that shocked emoji back. Uh-huh. And she, I can't believe who my husband's turning into. And all of a sudden, I at that moment, like I had this decision, like do something for someone else when it comes to your identity or finally stand up for yourself and do what feels good to you. And at this point, you know, I had this connection that was like, Mark, you are significant. Be you, you know, because I love you. I love you for who you are. The world loves you for who you are and they need you for you, who you are, not for who you're not. And so I decided at that moment, I was like, you know what, I'm going to wear this speedo. And then another thing, and it felt so good swimming and it felt so good and then i shaved my legs for the triathlon oh yeah for my big race and the night before i shaved my legs oh my gosh it made me so horny doing it (laughs) 
But I didn't let myself masturbate before the race because I wanted to keep that oh, energy so oh. that I could drive it into my racing. And so I uh, was just super horny all race. I, so I shaved my legs and I was like, oh, my God, this is the best feeling I've ever had in my life. I couldn't even sleep the night before because the sheets felt so silky yes, and soft. Yes. I was like, oh my gosh. The air conditioning blowing from across the room and touching my legs. Yeah. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> and then I get outside and the wind's blowing mm -hmm. on my legs. And I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. And then she looks at me and does the same type of thing. She's like, her face drops. When she met me, you know, I'm this landscaper, overweight, you know, long hair, scraggly, didn't care about anything. And, and now I'm this like fit triathlete, takes a couple showers a day, shaves his legs, wears a Speedo, like totally different guy. Mm. And I go, you know what? I don't care. And at the same time, I had just watched Bohemian Rhapsody and the Elton John movie. Yeah. And seeing those men go through those things that yeah. they did in those movies, like really touched me where I was like, if they did it, I can do it too. And I was like, I'm finally, I finally know who I am. And so when I crossed that finish line, I was like, oh my God, I just did a fucking half Ironman. I can do this. And so I, I knew that it was coming. I knew that I knew my coming out was coming. And then I was like, well, I've got to kind of experiment with it and make sure. So I ended up meeting up with a guy and having sex with him. And this was the very, very first time so, yes, I was having sex outside of my marriage, but this is the very, very, and I had had sex outside of my marriage before mm -hmm. with other men, with, with the same woman and with every other woman. Yeah. But this was the very, very first time where I walked away with a pep in my step and a smile on my face and was like, that is right. That is who I am. Oh and there was no guilt and there was no shame. And it was the very first time that I had had sex with no shame. And this was also the very first time in my mouth, I go, Mark, you're gay. Wow. And so finally, I knew that it was true. I knew that I was going to come out. I ended up giving the guy my phone number, which I never did. It was always inside the apps. I gave him my phone number. We were texting. My ex-wife saw it. And she actually thought that I was texting a woman. And when she said, you know, who is this that you're talking to? I had said, my fingers aren't just satisfying me enough. And she goes, who's this bitch you're talking to? And I was like, oh, that's a man. And I'm gay. <laughs> and that was the first time it ever came out of my lips. And she laughed at me and she said, no, you're not. <laughs> and so it took a little bit of time oh for gosh. her to believe it. And so we tried to stay together. We tried to keep it going, but it didn't end up working. Yeah. And that's my coming out story. <laughs> Holy fuck. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. How does it feel to share all of that? Every single time, it's like, it's a gift. Yeah. It feels like the biggest gift that I'm able to also give right back. Mm -hmm. So it's a gift that I got. Mm -hmm. And I think probably Elton John would say the same thing, but it's a gift that I'm able to give back and spread hope that other boys out there who are struggling with it, boys, girls, trans, you know, it's a gift that we're able to give back because it is awesome. It's like the best feeling to finally live with yourself, like nothing. And you hear it all the time from people who have everything. They're like, it's not satisfying. Yeah. Well, 
I can tell you one thing that this is satisfying. <laughs> like finally being who you are is satisfying. And yes. so if there's any glimmer inside of your life, that's like, Oh, I do this thing, but it's not really me. It's not really, I don't really like it, but I'm doing it anyway for this norm. Don't yeah. like the inner spirit, like wants to live a life of integrity and a life of integrity is living through who you are, yes. you know, yes. and there is no greater gift than that. Like it's, it's unbelievable to be, to be walking around congruent enough to be able to smile at the guy who's like growling at me at the gym yeah. is just such a wonderful feeling. It's something I've always wanted to do, but I haven't been able to do it. Wow. And that, that is what I want for everyone, for all of our listeners, but also for the whole world. My crumpling, crinkling, breaking, and then like accepting myself as is, is a very different story and is less drug oriented and maybe less scary for some people. But the feeling, the crumble inside, I had more confusion about what I was even hiding, if that makes sense. Like I was like playing these social yeah. scripts. And so for me, there was so much confusion around like, wait, what am I? And I think in some ways I'm still kind of like parsing it out, you know, with this podcast, like, can I continue to be this sexual publicly? Can I be as sexual as I want publicly? Mm. And I just see in your story, like my own reflection of what it feels like to have to squish yourself down and the pain that that causes, not just you, but other people. I hope you're able to continue it because I'm in the same conflict yeah. with the modeling and yeah. with, you know, writing a book and being a public figure now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing this column called my best gay self for a gay newspaper down here. And that's Amazing. one of the things that I'm talking about is like the sex positivity aspect of our culture and still being able to be a value-based man but having a thing like OnlyFans yes. and, you know, enjoying my exhibitionist side. Yeah. And, and, you know, why do I have to hide that? Why, you know? Yeah. The thing that's becoming increasingly clear to me the more that I do this work is my entire life, I have wanted to be a sex worker. I have not said this out loud on the podcast. My entire life, I've wanted to be some sort of sex worker. And then a few months ago, Another sex podcast host was like, yeah, selling nudes online counts as sex work. And since then, I've been like, wait, so should I just go more? Should I just do more? I don't mind being naked. I love being naked. People want to watch. I could teach people. I yeah. You know, and so that's that's one of the things that I still have been thinking about a lot lately. And I hear so much permission in your story. And as I think back to the very beginning, when we got the little overview of your current sex life, there's so much joy. So now will you please give us details about the current sexual joys that you are experiencing in your life? Well, I mean, one of those is definitely from doing little videos and taking pictures yeah. and experimenting with that side of things. It's so much fun. But what is interesting about those types of things is I end up, I'll take it down, right? I'll, oh. I'll put it up there and then I'll take it back down. And this is what I have to experience uh -huh. so that I can write about it and so that I can finally like give people this this whatever's going on, it's a mystery to me, but it's, it's has to do with shame. Right. And it has to do with culture has to do with perceptions and I don't understand it yet, but it is coming. Okay. And I know, I know that my continual experience with it will produce something at some point, but that's, it happens. That's how 
creativity. That's how poems have always come to me. It's just like, just live with it, Mm. breathe it, feel it, accept it for what it is. Take it down. Don't feel bad about taking it down. Don't feel bad about putting it up. Like just do it, just see what happens and then write about it. So that's where I'm at right now. I love it. So I'll put up my phone in my little apartment. I love these apartments down in South Florida because I've got a window right yeah, here. Yeah, you have amazing it's light. It's like big, beautiful light. Yes. And so I've got down here, I'll point like I've got a big exercise mat yes. and a big mirror and that's it. I don't have a carpet and I also don't have couches because I like to roll around on this floor. <laughs> and so I do, I do. Sometimes I'll be doing dances. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'll have my camera set up and I'll just be like, finger myself and jack it off. Amazing. I'll be like legs up. <laughs> you know, who knows what it is. It often ends up pretty messy uh-huh. though. And, uh-huh. like, and I'm like, thank God. I, because when you're doing that type of stuff and you're just like, you know, jacking off for like 45 minutes for people online and they're sending you all these things is like, oh, this is hot. And then they send you a little tip and you're like, yeah. Yeah. It's so hot. And so it just, like when I erupt, it's like, boom, thank God I don't have carpet. <laughs> Amazing. Horny thinking about it. Like, yeah. I might have to film a little video after this. Yeah, for... you totally should. You t- and then tell people so that when this comes out, they can go find that video. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, I just want to show you, I too have my exercise mat over there. And that is where I had my birthday sex last night. I love, I mean, I put down a blanket because mine is a gymnastics mat. And so it's that carpety feeling. And so like, I make sure to to keep it nice. But uh, there is something about being out and open on the space that is like different from a bed that I love. I know. So like I turn on my TV and I just, you know, I'm always stretching too. So Mm -hmm. even if if this isn't for my OnlyFans, this is actually... Because when I watch TV, my friends were always making fun of me. They're like, you're never on the couch. I get the whole couch all to myself when I come over to your house. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'll just get rid of my couch. And so now I got a moon pod. They sit on a moon pod. The moon pod is quite possibly the greatest, like, nudie chair sitting in this thing naked in the morning. It's zero gravity. Oh, my it God. Oh. It is. Although it's called a moon pod, it's very grounding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, the moon is what keeps us balanced. It keeps us on our axis, truly. Hey, so, you know. There is that. There is that. Yes. Okay. So, can you give us details of, okay, I'm hearing so many good OnlyFans details, but what do you, how do you like to be touched? How do you like to touch yourself? Let's start there. Let's start with your personal, like, sensory experience. So it usually starts like if it's porn related, if I'm sitting down watching porn, it's a little different. I just watch porn, get hard, kind of jack off. But if it's that sensual, like occasionally I get home after like, you know, a business trip or me just like being really horny, like yesterday after walking around and just being horny and I don't need porn. And so in those times I get into what I would experience kind of when I'm with another man. And that's, some kind of like heavy touching. So I lay in the bed and just kind of close my eyes and I'm with this heavy petting all over. And then I start touching like my inner thighs. My inner thighs are just like the gateway. And then down like beneath my balls. I don't really like play with my junk too much until it gets hard and it's like, you know, and so I start playing with my ass and maybe a little spank and a little grab. And 
there's toys too, but usually it starts with just like the fingers, the touching, the deep grabbing, Mm. the deep like holding and pulling. And I'm doing it all right now. Yeah. It's so good. I love that. Hard. (laughs) I'm just like, ah. Yeah. But yeah. And then what will end up happening is then like something clicks where it's like, okay, you need this toy. Mm. (laughs) Go get it. Mm -hmm. I've got what I call my boyfriend, my boyfriend dildo. He's my go-to, like my always, like sometimes even after I get done with a guy, mm-hmm. I won't be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And that night I'll end up pulling him back out and then I'll get fully satisfied. Love. But he's nine inches, fairly thick too. And, you know, I will start playing with him <laughs> and, you know, I can't just like slip in that. And so it takes a little bit of time warming up with fingers and lube and then but when once he's in there oh my god we have a good time we have a good time but then sometimes sometimes it's about like it's different i've got a butt plug and i've got a little vibrating one that i put in there that's like it dangles and you can control it with your phone type thing so what i was thinking about setting up with my OnlyFans is like a subscription where they get access to my plug for a weekend or something like that for like you know $200 $200 a month or something. Fuck you get yeah. access for the weekend to my prostate. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So I'm still trying to create that. But yeah, the, the plug is a lot of fun. I do love that because it like stretches a little bit and kind of hurts. and But it feels so good. And you're like, ah, oh, yes, that's awesome. So sometimes the stretching gets me, gets me in. Mm-hmm. And that's led me into this whole other realm of like, you know, in the gay world that I just, I don't even know about. And so... You know, I'm just having fun with it and seeing where it goes. Like I was with this guy recently who's got a massive cock. I wasn't able to finish the whole thing or fit the whole thing, but it was so big and it was so wonderful. And I was just like, I was sucking it like this. It was like, afterwards, I was like, I want you to come back over and take a video of this. Like, but he's a guy who I would never see myself with actually until, till then I was like, wow, this was wonderful. (laughs) It was so good. But afterwards, I was like, you know, I've never like done any fisting or anything. And he was like, yet. That's what I always say. I say it more like, yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, since sometimes I do kind of get off from the stretching rather than like the deep penetration, like, I don't know, maybe I don't I don't know. So, I mean, one time I was in a sex sling out in out in Denver right when I came out Mm -hmm. and I was getting gang banged by all these guys the beautiful denver men it was so oh, hot that's one of my fantasies it was on new year's eve <gasps> amazing oh, i got so lucky they were so hot too like usually in these places you have like maybe one hot guy and then the rest you're like oh, i'll put up with this <laughs> i guess you gonna have to <laughs> i was like surrounded by beautiful men yeah. and i was just like oh I'll take it all and i took it all and then this one guy like towards the end he tried to slip his whole hand in there and I was like, wait, no, yeah. you know, my mind wasn't set up for it or yes. something. I yes. like thought that it was a bad thing. And I was like, I'm not that. Yeah. But I'm starting to realize, wait a second. Like, is that my, is that my shame speaking? Mm. Like, what is it? Like what's going on there? So there's, yeah. there's some interesting things yeah. when it comes to sexuality that, you just don't want to be closed off to, right? You want to keep that door open because it really may help you like evolve into a stronger, better, beautiful being. Totally. You know? 
And at the same time, scary surprises are scary. And so maybe your nervous system just needs to know what to expect. So for me, when new toys, I'm a kinky submissive. And when new toys get used on me, sometimes if I have no idea what they are, my animal brain, my limbic system will be like, ah, and my amygdala will be like, we're dying. You know, and so I, so if I know to expect a different texture or sensation or something, then I can sort of relax into it more. And so... I'm so curious to hear about these unfoldings as they as they come for you. We will see. We will see. Can you tell us more about your experience in these group spaces? It sounds like you go to sex clubs a lot. Is that true? I know. I used to. I used to. Then COVID happened. Right. I, oh, right. <laughs> like in Denver, I loved going to them. It wasn't always a gangbang, right? Sometimes <laughs> I would go there and I would just like show off. I would jack off and I would leave. And sometimes I would go and suck a dick and then I would leave. And like there's been a handful of times since being sober that I have been in gangbangs. There's been a couple of orgies that I've gone to, but they've been like real exclusive type things. So okay. like there was only one time at the sex club where I was in the sling where I was like, okay, everybody like, this is all right. Yeah. Then there's other times that I've been there. I'm like, I'm not hopping in that thing. I don't trust anybody here, but for yeah. some reason, like the universe set that up for me or something. Yeah. And then the other like gangbangs that I've been in have been invite only type things and, you know, reputable people yeah. and just like, you know, real trustworthy type situations. Everybody's wearing protection. You know, it's just it's real safe feeling. So, you know, I don't know. I just got down to Florida two weeks ago and I've finally started to hear about these different places that you can go to like that. I'm excited to go experiment with them and see them. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm really safe now because I just had my first encounter with a sexually transmitted disease, okay. which was chlamydia. And I got it and I mm -hmm. took you know, some medication to get off of it. Yep. But I realized there that it's a very fragile world. So although I'm on PrEP, which mm -hmm. is for HIV prevention, I'm still you know, very cautious about this other stuff. So I don't know how... I don't know. We'll just have to see. We'll, we'll kind of flow with it, see where it goes yep. as it pertains to continued experiences in those situations or if I can find, you know, a group type meetup that's trustworthy, yes. you know, down here, then that would be ideal oh, because okay, I do yeah. love those situations. But as I also mentioned, like, I feel a little bit less driven towards that type of stuff and exploring that type of stuff and more towards like, I finally fell in love with my first man. Like I finally made love with my first man and we're not together. Both of our lives were going two different ways, uh -huh. but I experienced that feeling. And he said that I was the first person to ever get him to come without, you know, him having to pull out and jack off. Wow. And I was the first person to ever get him to come inside. And when he did like, Oh my God, it was like this, the most beautiful, like, feeling like watching him come inside of me and then me like accepting it and feeling it and just like opening up to it and then just like pulling him close and then coming all over him. It was just like, Oh my God, I want that yeah. over you know, 50 guys. Yeah. <laughs> I want that all day right now. That's what I crave. And so I don't know, even like the grinder encounters, they almost feel more just like release, like go, you know, get yourself released, mm -hmm. but you know exactly what you're looking for and that's not it. And so they do end up kind of unsatisfying right now, mm -hmm. but they don't. And so that's why I end up with my boyfriend, even after yeah. the guy 
huge cock, you know, I still end up with my boyfriend later because he satisfies. Is it possible to articulate the distinction of like when you feel really satisfied versus not? I know it's like a hard question, but if you had to guess. Yes, I get hungry and sleepy when I'm really satisfied. (laughs) Like if I'm not craving a cheeseburger after sex, then we didn't do something right. Mm. Can you figure out what that is or is it just kind of like a feeling that either is or isn't there? Is or isn't there. Okay. I cannot say, really. I do know, though, that that happened at the gangbang in the sling in Denver on New Year's Eve. And it didn't happen at another orgy that I was at. And I don't know the links of why that didn't occur. I did actually end up dating one of the guys. So it's got to be something spiritual because I ended up dating one of the guys from that sling experience. And I had a connection with him during that situation that led to this, like, so I think that it's something more than just like the sexual stimulation of an event. And it's more related to that eye contact that we first started talking about this magical thing that pulses much deeper than the prostate or much deeper than the cock, you know, it really satisfies better than an orgasm, you know, that there's something there. So I think that's what it is. Will you tell us a little bit about blowjobs, giving, receiving, what you love? Yes, I love them. <laughs> so I can get off by getting gagged by cock. Cool. <laughs> so there has been a handful of times where I am getting my throat fucked and somebody's fucking me from behind. Yes. So I'm like in the middle. Yes. And I will just come all over the place. And there's also... Like if I get on the side of the bed and hang my head over and somebody's like going real deep and you can like feel your throat open up. Oh, it's so hot. It's so hot. It's so good. And when I gag for some reason, it just like, just I'll burst. It's so hot. (laughs) So I love it. It has taken time though. It's really taken time to like find that because, and it's, a lot with the breath work and i think a lot of it is also learning to accept and that it's part of your identity like there was part of me before that was like oh this is gross oh i'm bad yeah you know yeah and now it's like oh let me cry all over that (laughs) okay one of my fantasies is to have someone deep throat me and come in my throat and i don't know if i would like choke to death have you experienced this is this possible yeah i didn't notice it Really? Actually, yeah, he came like real deep in my throat. And that happened like a week ago, actually. It was one of those grinder encounters. Wow. And he was on top of me. I had just come from him choking me with his dick. Yeah. And then I felt him like fucking me harder. And I was like, huh. And then he just kind of really slowed down. And then it went soft. And I was like, huh. And there wasn't hardly any of the taste either. Yeah, because it's already... <laughs> It was like all the way down, but there was the consistency. So Mm. something was there where it was like viscous yeah. and I could tell. And I was like, oh, that was special. I really liked that. (laughs) Amazing. What other kinks do you like to explore or want to explore? Oh, like I said, I mean, I love cream pies. Mm. So getting cummed in is like one of my favorite things in the whole world, but it's so unsafe. Yeah. It's such a thing to practice, you know, yeah. 
one of my biggest fantasies is to be in a sling and let like, you know, 20 guys just come, come in. Yeah. That's a hot fantasy. Oh my God. Oh, hot. So hot. Oh God. <laughs> um, that was always my favorite porn to watch. Even as a straight man was mm-hmm. like when the girl just like had her legs up and the guy would just come and fuck her for like, you know, even like 20 seconds, yeah. just come and then the next guy would come in. I'm like, Oh my yeah. God, that would be so fucking hot. So I'm definitely into that, but you know, I don't know if that will ever be able to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. And then outside of like orgies or sex party situations, have you had like threesomes or foursomes or is that something you would want to explore? Yeah, I love a good threesome. I was actually just in a threesome with these two wonderful men. Oh yeah, you said you got spit roasted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been spit roasted a number of times. It's my, one of my favorite things to do. I prefer Ooh. calling it the Eiffel Tower. Oh my God. Literally last night, I was asking my master, I was like, what is the Eiffel Tower? I was like, is this the, what, what is the fantasy I'm describing Eiffel Tower? What does that mean? So that is, okay, okay. <gasps> That's what it is. And somebody told me, he was like, what's an Eiffel Tower? Oh, you mean spit roasted. So I started oh. saying spit roasted. I don't know why, but I guess it's dirty and I kind of like it, but <laughs> it makes you feel like a piggy. Yeah. And I like to get spit on too. So I'm like, I love yeah. the word. <laughs> I love it. This was the first married couple that I was with, though. And so that was it was a beautiful situation, though. So they had it down. And there's this other couple that I'm talking with here that wants to do it. But for some reason, with the couple, they were older men. They were both daddies, like Mm -hmm. gray hair. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they're so hot, too. For some reason with them, I was like real comfortable with it. With this other couple, they don't seem like they have the closest relationship. Yep. I don't want to get in the middle of it. Yep. So there's a lot of stuff that gets like mixed up. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to like the orgies and stuff, like the spit roasting, the Eiffel Tower situations, they happen all the time. And you don't, you know, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you're like, you're there, you've got <laughs> cock all over you type stuff. And yeah. It's just like a wonderful place to be. But there's there's something different about like having the threesome itself because it, there's just more connection. And so I like it. I like it a little bit better. Sometimes in the orgy situation, it's almost as if things get lost. Yeah. And things is not the right word there. But it's almost as if when you're in the orgy situation, what seems like to be the thing that turns me on is actually like I take myself out of myself and I look down at what's going on. And I'm like, wow, this is super hot. But what I'm actually doing is like overload and I can't process it. Yes. Whereas like in a threesome, you still process it all. Right. So well said. I like to think of sex parties or orgy situations as like sensory overload where I'm just in my animal body being an animal and other sex that's more, you know, planned with partners is to me more connected where I still have the essential experience. Yeah. What hopes do you have for your sex life going forward? I hope to find that very, very special man, right, that we can make love with, who also is open to having other sexual encounters. I would also, I would really, really love to be able to like dance in public. Yeah. And so I'm going to a nightclub tonight to like, you know, there'll be go-go dancers and stuff like that. And I'm excited to maybe, I mean, I almost did it while I was in Denver, but COVID happened. And so this will be my first time back at a nightclub since then, where I'll see the dancers, I'll get to meet people. And so I would love to be able to go to one occasionally. I don't want to like always be up there dancing, but like to do that occasionally for some work would be fun. Fuck yeah. 
the OnlyFans thing is a lot of fun too. So I want to keep doing that, but I don't want to do porn. Yeah. You know, so although there's a part of me that wants to. Ooh, what's I, the difference for you? Like, where are the lines? I think contracts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So getting into like legal binding and also having people direct it and yeah. things like that, whereas I get to control it all myself, you know, with OnlyFans. Yeah. yeah. It just seems a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want to get involved with that. Plus doing the modeling where it's like real modeling, you know, I wouldn't want to like cross lines there. Totally. totally. So, yeah, I mean, it's really, I think the most important thing to me is to find that man with that connection, with that love, and also to be able to us have other physical activity, threesomes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll have a lot of fun. Fuck yeah. I love that. Is there anything else about your sex life that we need to know? You know, one thing, I'm not a size queen. Like, it doesn't matter if a guy's got, like, a huge, massive cock or, you know, a six to seven inch cock. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, it's got to have something. But, you know, maybe. I don't know. I've never been with, like, a super small guy. But I know that my size chart is, like, right around, like, where I am to, like, a little bit bigger. And then, you know, I'll enjoy and have fun with super huge, massive ones, but I don't need that. Right. I rather, I would much rather like have this connection because that's where I have had the best sex of my life was, you know, I averagely endowed man came inside of me and just like, we enveloped each other. and Oh, that was where it was at. You know? <laughs> yeah. If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, What age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I would tell the little six-year-old boy to enjoy his mini mouse. And that's it. Hmm. That's really it. I don't think it would actually have to be sex advice. Yeah. You know, I think it has to be more identity and just being okay that you are not only okay, but you are beautiful and you are perfectly made who, who you are. Do you have a sex question for me? So you said you're a sex submissive. Yeah. I am very curious about the submissive lifestyle. So I'm. how does that look? And how did you find out that you were that? Oh, my gosh. Well, first, I had a lot of bad sex. And by bad sex, I just mean like kind of disconnected, kind of confusing, kind of unfulfilling. And I had a whole journey my life kind of collapsed. Like my best friends moved away. I went through some double breakups. I was like working with pickup artists producing their TV show. And I was like, oh, this is not a life I like to live. And I knew I needed an overhaul. And I was, you know, that emotionally dropped out, disconnected feeling. And so I shaved my head. I went to South America for half a year, kind of wandered around, had some like casual flings that were like hit or miss, you know, if that connection was there or it wasn't. And it was like, and I was just like, something's missing. And so when I came back to Los Angeles, I went on the internet and made a FetLife profile because I just had this like idea in my head. Like I didn't know anything about kink or dominant submission, BDSM. Like I really knew very little, but I've always been very horny and I knew I wanted more and I knew I wanted to explore. And so I was looking for someone to tie me up and I happened to stumble into the man who four years later through a bunch of like bumpy up and downs because he's married and has a don't ask, don't tell partnership and all of that, you know. I stumbled into what feels like freedom and permission to enjoy my sexual body with a person who can help my nervous system calm down because when I'm given a role and when I'm with a partner that I know for a fact isn't going to be thinking 
sneaky thoughts about wanting me to do something different because he'll just tell me if he wants something different. Yeah. That unlocked so much for me. And that, you know, really did lead to this podcast and my desire to just really encourage other people to to try and figure out whatever they can so that they can have the same level of like satisfaction and self-permission and acceptance. And just for me, it is like a transcendent God experience to have connected sex. And I want people to just feel the joy in their bodies from all of that. Yeah. Well, it's so beautiful what you're doing and helping people to experience that by, by just hearing it and knowing that it's available. That's what I do with the written word, you know? And yeah. So thank you for doing it with the spoken word. I really appreciate being on the podcast today. This has been so wonderful. I'm so grateful to have you. Where can people find you on the internet? So my website, markaturnipseed.com is probably the best place because from there you can get my email, you can get my phone number, you can get my PO box, you can get my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook, OnlyFans, OnlyFans at Mark A. Turnipseed as well. So everything is like OnlyFans backslash Mark A. Turnipseed, Instagram.com backslash Mark A. Turnipseed. So all of those. Fuck yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. You are welcome. Thank you.